Are, Teddy, are we recording? Oh, yeah, 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 oh yeah. okay, good, good, good. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. It's the True Critic Podcast, your favorite movie podcast, East of the Mississippi. It's back. It's live. Ooh. It's a bold claim, but I'm going to stand by it. Yeah. What's west of the Mississippi that beats you? Mm, there's one called The Big Picture that runs out of California. It's pretty solid. But uh, okay. that's, n- that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Anyway, sure. I'm here today with my usual producer, but now co-host for this episode, Teddy Hirschfield. Teddy, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Living the dream. Living no the complaints. Dream. Yes, sir. Yeah. Happy New Year. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. You too. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah, that's what we're here today to do. We're talking about 2021. What a year in movies it was. But uh, before we get to that, how was your 2021? Um, outside of movies? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Life. Life. <laughs> it's good. It was good. Good. <laughs> yeah. Great. How's uh, 14th grade going? 14th grade. Uh, yeah, it's going good. It's going good. I had a particularly challenging semester but hey we got through it tough times don't last hey tough people do hey Good. no pain no gain okay sure great <laughs> now um since you're not gonna ask about my 2021 oh yeah i really don't want to talk about it it was fine it was great whatever so 2021 for you i know that you became more of an academic in regards to your movie watching i started caring a lot more about a movie than just the plot, which Love I think that. Is, I think is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't watch a whole lot of new movies that came out this year, which is fine. But I watched a lot of really good movies. I think mm-hmm. I would say, um, and yeah, I became a I became a, a better a better movie watcher. Yeah, our conversations about movies have gotten yes a lot deeper, and I think a lot more effective. Yes, and that's why I'm really glad to have you here today. Well, thank you. You know, I've seen none of your movies. You know what? But I think that <laughs> makes for great conversation. We'll get into that in a sec. But I think 2021 as a year for movies was uh, one I was really looking forward to because COVID happening in March of 2020, and basically every movie getting delayed. Yeah. And now this year we had theaters open for the whole year, which allowed for me to see a lot more movies than I saw last year. I ended up seeing, I don't remember the final number, but I saw between 40 and 50 new releases of 2021, which wow. isn't my best, but it's, it's all right. Yeah. And given the circumstances, I feel like that's pretty good. But it was just, I thought it was just really great to be back in theaters this year. And I think there are a lot of movies, especially some ones on my list that are definitely movies I feel like that needed to be experienced in a theater. Yeah. And uh, I'm just really glad that we were able to have that experience back. For sure. But um, yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about how this episode is going to work today. Okay. You just said it. You haven't seen any of the movies on my top ten list. Zero. We're talking about my top ten favorite movies of twenty twenty one. Zero. And I know I'm going to get crap for it because I know there's some movies that I should have seen. That's okay. <laughs> it's it's in the, you can't change it now. That's true. That's true. Only after the episode can you change it. Yes. But um, so what's going to happen? You, what I asked you to do for all ten movies, I asked you to watch the trailer, and uh, we'll just kind of go from there. So yeah. you did that for all ten movies and. Trailers, you know, whether you think they give away too much, whether you love them, I mean, the function of them has never really changed. They still are just, you see them and you get an instant first impression of what the movie's like. Right. So for each movie on my list, I have very specific reasons why I like it and why it's at the position it is on my list. And all you have is a first impression of it. Yes. So I think that'll make for some good. That will, that will yeah. So that'll make for some good conversation. Yeah. And I think some questions could be answered and... Maybe we'll see if my thoughts on the movie align with the impression you got of it from the trailer. Uh, and uh, Probably yeah. not. At least for one of them, I know not. Oh, okay. I'm excited <laughs> to get to that. But um, before we get going with the 10, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna run through six honorable mentions. Okay. I was only gonna do five, but I'm gonna do six yes. because one of them's really important to you, and that's the first one. First honorable mention is uh, "Don't Look Up." Yes. You wanna you wanna go ahead and just spill your beans on this one? T- tell me if so. We had a conversation about how mm-hmm. I delivered my opinions on this one. So right. stop me, stop me if I'm getting out of okay. hand. Okay. I think it's one of the most eye-opening watches that I have ever seen. Is that, is that a fair statement mm-hmm. to me? Yeah. That's um, fine. I think, so don't look up the astronomers with the comet hurtling towards Earth from Michigan State, by the way, mm-hmm. which is how I found out about the movie was Michigan State's Twitter. A little fun really? Fact for you. Yeah. Um, That's actually really surprising. Really? Yeah. Because, like, I mean, it's definitely prominent in the movie that they're yeah. Michigan State astronomers, but. And Michigan State, the whoever it was that watched it, said that like they represented the university really well i would say so yeah Yeah. jennifer lawrence wears a michigan state hoodie in the movie yeah she does no way yep swear to god that's why it's five out of five and uh there's a couple of times that uh leo says yeah i'm in lansing oh yeah that's you're like (laughs) about an hour from me been there done that give or take yeah um but i think there's so much into the movie that's uh very like when I first watched the the first part of it, I was like, okay, this is really taking a weird direction, mm-hmm. and I really think it's going to be a bad movie. And then when I saw what was going on, I really loved it, and I I pretty much agree with everything in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's I haven't seen, like I said, a lot of movies this year, but four new releases, which I think I've only seen four or five, but that would definitely be my top. It I've watched it three times now. It has quickly climbed its way to my top five ever. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I really, really like the implications that go with it. Yeah. It's it's definitely interesting because I think it's definitely um I mean it's it's a comedy, yeah. I think for sure. It's yeah. definitely a lot of it's played for laughs, but there's so <laughs> there's such a melancholic like implications yeah. of like how doomed we are as a society. So it's interesting yeah. to blend those two feelings um in one movie. And yeah, I like this movie a lot. Yeah. I, I've told you in the past though, I'm a big fan. I'm a big believer in less is more. Less is more, yeah. And so I feel like a lot of my issues just relied with or lied within it just so much of the symbolism and messages it's trying to convey just being shoved in my face. Like whether you or I agree with them or not, it's like I, I don't know. I didn't I didn't want to watch a PSA, I think right. is part of it. But I do have such an admiration for Adam McKay's style. I think you and I talked a lot about like the editing in this movie. Yeah. It's really like fast and quick and like it'll cut characters off mid sentence and mm-hmm. the camera, tr- it'll be like a really quick zoom and then cut. And it's, it's very frenetic and it moves really fast. Yeah. And a lot of people didn't like that. I know a lot of people I've talked to the scene movie said that that was one thing that bothered them, but yeah. that's something I appreciated. And I think that actually helped one surprising thing that another thing a lot of people have said is that they felt like this movie was really long and I felt like, Oh, I thought it was so quick. Yeah. And it's two hours and 19 minutes yeah. long. So it is long, but I, I just remember watching yeah. it. And I didn't really feel the length. I that was probably the first movie I have ever watched in my home for the first time and not click pause. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I was I was like so so yeah. into the movie. That's another thing I, that was fortunate for me. So this came out on Netflix on Christmas Eve, and I was I saw it um, in beginning of December, but I went and saw it in theaters yeah. in Grand Rapids, and that I think helped a lot too because I I think I'm just a huge advocate advocate for the theater experience, like yeah. I said, and. I don't. I mean, I don't think this is a movie that necessarily needs to be experienced on the big screen, but I think yeah. having that, you know, there is no pause. Right. And well, a big and part that, of that too is I think McKay does a great job of making you as the audience feel a very particular way, which is right. what he's 
trying to do. Right. And I would imagine that the bigger screen, louder speakers yep. definitely mm-hmm. helps. With and that, that was another cool thing about it too, because, you know, I saw this before it was available on Netflix. It was a decently crowded theater. Yeah. I would say probably like 30 ish people there. And, uh, it was really interesting to just see how different, um, audience members responded to the movie. Yeah. Cause they would make some jokes and I would hear laughs from like this section of the theater. And then they'd make another joke that was maybe poking fun at another group of people or another way of right. thinking. And I would hear laughs from like a completely different section of the theater, but the section that laughed before was completely silent. Yeah. So it was really cool experience to see how like in real time, how people were responding to the movie. Yeah. And I, I really appreciated that experience of it. And I think there's a lot to admire in it. I, everybody that's asked me about it, because I know it's a very polarizing movie, I've said it's worth the watch simply for the conversation alone. Yeah. So, yeah, I would recommend Don't Look Up. I still do. Yeah. I'll probably watch it again someday, to be honest. And I think the performances are really great. And, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's worth an honorable mention, I'd say. Yes. Mm-hmm. And just because I wanted to talk about it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll go through the other honorable mentions quicker. So these these would be like my 15 through 11. Okay. Um, the Mitchells vs. the Machines, another movie on Netflix. It's my favorite animated movie of the year. I'll just keep it brief. Zola is an A24 movie that is a movie based on a Twitter thread that's from, I think, 2015. That was the like, that was what sparked the idea for the movie. And it's a true story, really interesting stuff, and some really innovative filmmaking. Um, my number 13 would be The Matrix Resurrections, which I just recently saw. Right. And I think serves as an amazing companion piece with uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. And oh. both movies were released a week apart from each other. And one of the big things about The Matrix Resurrections, which, um, I don't, have you seen any of The Matrix movies? No. Okay, basically what The Matrix is, like the physical thing that it is, it's like a, it's a, basically a false reality created by these machines from the future, basically to just keep humans docile and like under control. Right. Because these um, machines use the energies, use the energy given off, um, basically that humans create to like fuel their future world. So they just keep the humans in the matrix to keep them docile and under control. Mm-hmm. And basically in this version of the matrix, um, the person that created it, uh, he uh, basically just says, I took all facts out of consideration and I just gave people happiness and the things that they like, regardless of whether it's true or not. Because that's the easiest way to keep people under control is to keep them happy. Right. Now, I'm sorry if that spoils the movie a little bit. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but that's like one of the that's like the main theme of the movie. Right. And um, there's a big part too where uh, somebody's talking to Keanu Reeves' main character, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, people don't want to be free anymore. They just want to be controlled." Yeah. And I think that's such a poignant <laughs> way to talk about movies right now, especially with Spider Man. Yeah. Because Spider-Man, I think, is a bad movie. I do, too. I think it's a poorly structured film. I think it doesn't make a lot of sense when you boil it down. But people, I'm sorry, people fucking love it just because there's two other Spider-Man in there and villains they've seen before. Yeah. On IMDb, I get it that the top 250 movies are ranked by viewers. But that movie to be up there with The Godfather is one of the greatest movies all time is asinine. Yeah. It It is a sheer statement of the stupidity of our society. Yeah. And I'm sorry if that's harsh, and I'm sorry if you really like Spider-Man. I think there there's a lot that's admirable about that movie, but I think that The Matrix Resurrections just really proves a point that like people just want to be fed like mindless garbage yes. that makes them happy yes. in the moment. Yes. But pe- nobody wants to think critically about anything. Right. Because, I mean, when you talk to people about Spider-Man, 
what do they say? Oh, like, oh, oh, that was shit. so cool, dude. Could you believe it? It was Toby Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland <laughs> all in the same movie. And then and yeah, I'm I'm like, like, he'd be like, okay, well, what was cool about it? Like, the ending was sick. I'm I know. Like, okay, why was it sick? It was, it was, really well, it was cool. also Spider-Man, and then you had Dr. Octopus, Green Goblin, and I'm like... I'm like, all right, hey, how about this? How about um, it's the third movie where Peter's learned the same lesson? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I'm like, there's so much that you can boil down. Like the fact about like, I guess I'm, well, we're kind of just spoiling Spider-Man No Way Home. But like the, the fact that like this whole spell thing and like makes Peter. So Peter never existed, but Spider-Man still existed this whole time. I'm like, what? Like yeah. who in the writer's room was like. No, we'll do this. It doesn't. It doesn't matter because the other Spider Men are in it, and so in society as a whole is just like, yes, give me yeah. that. Well, my buddy made a good point. Um, he was like, "Well, okay, so how, do you know how much of that is based on comics?" Honestly, no, but I don't give a shit. Well, I, and that's the thing. He's like, "Well, how can you get mad at the writing if it's based on comics?" Then, so then the then writing of the comics is are bad. bad. <laughs> right. That's yeah. what I'm saying. But yeah, okay. Uh huh. It's like I was having a discussion with one of our other friends recently, and. Uh, he was saying how in the new Book of Boba Fett series, they brought up Spice, which is a huge aspect of the movie that came out this year, Dune. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh. I was like, you think that's like intentional? And I was like, I mean, it's probably intentional, but it's just lazy. Yeah. He's like, well, how is that lazy? I was like, they're probably just riding the popularity of Dune, and Dune existed. Yeah. Well, I, at first I said they're probably just riding the popularity of Dune. He's like, yeah, but what if there's like, you know, comics? There, he's like, there's comics and there's books about Star Wars. What if they mention it in that? And I was like, Dune is a book from the 1960s. Star Wars wasn't a thing until 1977. Yeah. I was like, no matter any way you slice it up, it's still just taking it from Dune. And I'm not saying these two properties are related. I don't give a shit. I haven't seen the book of Boba Fett. And I was just like, the fact that you couldn't think of another name for this thing is a bit ridiculous. Yeah. And it's literally just get to get fans be like, are Star Wars and Dune related? (laughs) And I'm like, I just that. I think there's a significant absence of critical thinking in yeah. our society today, and I think that the Matrix Resur- Re- Resurrections is really poignant, and I really wish a lot of people, a lot more people, would see it first. And I think a lot of people are just dismissing it because it's extremely convoluted and complex, and I think there's a lot of issues with the storytelling. But I think a lot of people are just writing it off as dumb because it's like, well, it's two and a half hours, and there isn't that many fight scenes actually, because there's not. Yeah. There really isn't. It, it's definitely not a, like an action movie. But, and it's, I just wish more people would like step back and look at things through different lens instead of just, oh, that movie was so cool and I loved it. I, I have an issue. There was two things like the beginning seemed way too, like too much of a social commentary thing where it was like Spider-Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it was like talking about the media and just like all these mm-hmm. social issue issues. I felt like Marvel has never been a movie like that. Marvel is for the action. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's where, so it, it just it threw the whole thing off for me. And then the the whole movie could have been told in about 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah. It was useless. I mean, Oh yeah. The, yeah. the setup, the inciting incident are extremely stupid. Yeah. And I really, I'm, I feel bad talking now. Cause like I know so many people, they people really that like I really it. love and respect that like love this movie. And it's yeah. like, I'm not trying to, antagonize anybody in particular it's just like i see this movie at what like number seven all time on imdb has one of the highest rotten tomato audience scores of all time yeah and i just i you're, i probably gave my message a bit too harsh but i just want people to think more critically yeah because like 
Well, and and it's it's mm-hmm. definitely like you said, it's it's garbage that's fed to people who are Spider Man fans. Mm-hmm. And I am too. I yeah. I've seen all these movies. I've rewatched them a ton. Like yeah. Toby Maguire Toby Maguire Spider Man trilogy has had a huge effect on me. Yeah. That was one of like the first PG thirteen movies I saw. And when I was a young movie watcher, I was all about watching movies I wasn't allowed to watch. You know, uh-huh. I wanted to see this R rated movie just because it was rated R. Right. And when I was even younger, ele- elementary school age, um, I was like, I want to see this movie because it's PG thirteen. Yeah. It's like my older siblings have seen this, but I was told I'm not allowed to. I want to see this. It's like I was introduced to Spider-Man because it was the first PG-13 movie where my mom was like, okay, you can watch it. I'll watch it with you. And I just felt so cool. And like that (laughs) instant like nostalgia with that is like, yeah, that those movies really connected with me when I was really young. And then when I revisit them when I'm older, I think Sam Raimi is such a master of um, just creating this really distinct feeling within his movies. And I think Spider-Man 1, 2, and even 3 – all have really, really distinct feelings to them that I've never felt in any other superhero movie. And they have this almost like quirkiness, but like this weird, like almost like a, there's like a sense of fear when you watch them. They feel more tangible than other superhero movies, I think. Yeah. And so I love those movies. And just because I love those and Tobey Maguire's in No Way Home doesn't mean that it's I love No Way Home. Right. It's it's just, I think it's a elementary way of thinking just yeah. to just say you love it because these people are in it. And, and like I said, and I know that you agree with me. I have yet to hear a reason as to why someone likes the movie. Yeah. The, the moment I hear a reason, like, okay, now we can have a discussion, mm-hmm. I have yet to hear anything other than it's sick. Yeah. The ending scene was sick. I know. But why? Like, but it was sweet. Exactly. Like, you go up and talk to somebody, somebody that thinks The Godfather is the greatest movie of all time, which is a very respect, respectable opinion because that's how a lot of people think, especially yeah. older people in, in America these days. And it's... uh. Like, you ask them, why do you think this is the greatest movie ever? Mm-hmm. Nobody's just going, oh, it's sick. Yeah. Like, they have they have reasons why they like it, whether they're film scholars or just somebody that really likes mob movies or somebody that just, like, has a particular connection with that movie and no other ones. Right. Nobody just says, oh, that's sick. Yeah. It's, yeah, I think it's just, I don't know. What you just said, differently. the lack of critically thinking. Oh, yeah. I... Not not that I want to bring it back, but I think that's that's a huge part of Don't Look Up. Yeah. <laughs> that's it why is. I love it. <laughs> no, yeah, it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's why I tell people to watch it for the conversation alone. Yeah. That movie sparked com- conversation. Yeah. And like it or not, I people but, talking about movies, in my opinion, is a good thing. Yeah. No matter what movie they're talking about. Yeah. And you have to keep an open mind when you watch a movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will say, I, I really thought Andrew Garfield in No Way Home, by the way, I thought he gave a great performance. Yeah. I've said it before, and I'll stick by, stick by it, that I think he's the best part about that movie. Better I think than he, Defoe? Yeah. Really? Yep. I okay. do. Mm-hmm. But I want to keep this uh, this episode yeah, moving absolutely. along. Absolutely. Uh-huh. No, I know. Um, I, I have no reason to say yes or no. I just, I like Defoe. <laughs> oh, I love Defoe. Don't get me wrong. Defoe's yeah. right up there with him, but Andrew yeah. Garfield, I think, is the best part about that movie. Okay. Um, number 12 would be Nightmare Alley. Guillermo del Toro's new movie. Not a lot of people saw it. Bradley Cooper gives one of, I think, his best performances. It's just another really eerie movie that um, captures a part of... Um, it takes place in, like, carnivals in the early 1940s, and this guy that basically becomes, like, a, a hustler and a con man. And it's a really cool, um, basically, setting. And I, it's just something I hadn't seen in movies before, so I really appreciated it. And then number 11 would be The Card Counter. That's uh, Paul Schrader's new movie with Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac's really dark uh, character study that I think uh, it's similar to Taxi Driver. There's parallels to like Uncut Gems. I think uh, 
first reformed, especially in the raging bull. So I, I love movies like that, that are dark, make me think, and they're really just focused on one character. Yeah. I just didn't, the only thing keeping it off my number 10 or like my top 10 list is I, I have some, some qualms with some the, qualms. some visual, the visual decisions in that movie. Um, but yeah, that's a movie I highly, highly recommend. I gotcha. But all right, let's get into top 10. 20 minutes in already. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was trying to keep this at right around an hour. Yeah, it didn't work. I think we could do it. We can. We're at we 10. Yeah. Okay. All right, number 10 is, uh, wait a minute. I think, yes, this is the only sequel I have on this list. And one of very few blockbusters. It's Quiet Place Part 2. Yes. I have talked about this movie on this show before. Yes. It was, I think, this was the movie that, you know, 2021, they were like, this is the one that's going to bring theaters back. That, yes. It was released in May of 2021, and it was released theaters exclusively, and it made right around $50 million its opening weekend. So that was pretty optimistic heading into the summer movie season. And I think this movie's really good. I've I've explained it before. I think John Krasinski, as a director, is really good at balancing emotion and tension. I think that this movie is incredibly effective in both those aspects. He makes you care about each each of the characters. I think, I mean, there's four main characters, but I think you really feel for all four of them. Right. And I think a big part of that is the performances, Emily Blunt and Killian Murphy, I think are really, really good in this movie. Um, and I think the child performances are really good too. I think they're probably, I think they're technically teenagers now, the kids in the movie, but they're really, really great. And I think, um, one of the things I like so much about this movie as a sequel is that I think a lot of sequels try to go bigger right away. Yeah. They try to take what was so good about the first one and just expand the world. It. Yeah, And this movie doesn't sacrifice its story for the sake of building a bigger world. They throw hints in there. There's scenes in the movie where they like they show other people living in this uh, this apocalyptic world and how other people are living and how that juxtaposes with how Emily Blunt and her family are living. Mm-hmm. But they don't dive too deep into it. And it's a, like the movie's 90 minutes long, right around. So they don't have time and they just keep it really focused on those four main characters like I talk about. And I really respect John Krasinski for doing that. Yeah. I will say uh, I was not eager to watch this just because I... I know per- you're not a fan yeah, of the first one. I personally, I just... Uh, I, did we talk about like an unrealistic idea versus unrealistic action? I think we have, yeah. yeah. Never on the podcast, but I think okay. just us talking. So real quick, just like I don't mind a, a unrealistic event like a like a dystopia or something like that where it's mm-hmm. probably not going to happen but the movie's based on it i don't have an issue with that i have an issue with scenes in particular that just don't make sense mm-hmm. or i don't think would make sense so for like for the first one like the i, I don't really want to get too into it but I, I i wasn't a huge fan of the first one mm-hmm. i had a couple of issues with this so i wasn't really eager to watch it and i still haven't watched it the second one though i was interested um and I know, like they with with Krasinski, it's before, right? And it shows, yeah, like what how it all began. Yeah, the opening scene, of the second one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought that would be cool, and that was kind of like eh, I'd watch it for that, but I, I still just was not. The opening scene is very cool. Is it? It is. It's really yeah. cool. And Probably I, find it on YouTube now, honestly. But yeah. I don't know. And after that, I was like, yeah, I don't really know that I want to. I didn't know it was ninety minutes. Actually, I didn't know. Oh, it yeah, was it's that a quick. quick watch. The short yeah. or the first one's short too. Yeah, I do. I remember it being fairly short, but that mm-hmm. even for as short as it was, I was just like, eh, I'm kind of ready for this to be. Okay. Over. Yeah. It's fair. Yeah. So my my uh, intention, no, no, my, what's the word I'm looking for? My my first take. Uh, and first impression. Impressions. Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. My first impressions. Uh, 
not for me, but I thought if you enjoyed the first one, you'd probably like the second one. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. I'm yeah. a big fan of the first one, too. Yeah. I'm, I would like to see John Krasinski do something other than A Quiet Place. Did you watch Jack Ryan? No. The TV show? Mm-mm. I'm curious if you'd like that. You I don't, a fan? What? You a fan? I watched the first season, and I thought it was interesting to see him not in a Jim Elpert role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I felt with the first Quiet Place. Quiet Place, yeah. But, yeah. Quiet Place Part 2. I highly recommend it. Okay. All right. Number nine is The Last Duel, which is Ridley Scott's new, uh, one of two movies he made this year with Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Adam Driver, and Jodie Comer, who Jodie Comer gives one of my favorite performances of the year in this movie. I wish she was in more uh, conversations as far as best actress goes, but uh, I thought she was really, really strong in this movie. And when I think of this movie, I think of the – I think when you – it's a common thing for, I think, people to say about movies today where they just say, oh, they don't make them like they used to anymore, you know? <laughs> like, I when I talk to a lot of older people, I'm not saying, like, old people, just, you know, like, middle-aged people about movies. Yeah. They say, like, oh, they don't make them like they used to anymore. And I think this is a movie that, one, is made like they used to make them, <laughs> and, two, shows why they don't make them like they used to anymore. Yeah. I think that, first of all, this movie costs $100 million to make, which is... Really? Yeah, which is really cool for a medieval epic that is yeah. rated R and really earns the R rating and is c- clearly geared towards adults, adults only, Okay. right? And so I, what I really appreciate about this movie was the structure of it. It... it uh, you know, I don't think this is really giving anything away. It basically s- tells um, the same story three times in two and a half hours, but th- from three different perspectives. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a really interesting approach that I was not expecting at all going into it, and I think it works really well in this story. And I think the performances are great, especially like I mentioned, Jodie Comer, but Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are really great in this movie, and so is Adam Driver. And I think the um, action in this movie, like I said, it's a uh, medieval epic so there's some really so there's some really good like sword f- fighting in this movie yeah but um I, I what really impressed me with this movie was the the structure and i think that it does a great job telling the story like this i would say it limits the rewatch value a little bit because you're basically seeing the same story three times in one movie mm-hmm. but what was so cool about that is you as an audience member are switching your loyalty so much oh. throughout the movie because like right out the gate, you see the story from Matt Damon's perspective and you're like, geez, like poor guy. I can't believe he go through this. But then you see, see it from somebody else's perspective and you see how that character looks at Matt Damon's character. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> like now they have a point. And then you see it from somebody else's perspective and you're like, wait, now I'm looking at those first two characters through a completely different lens. So for just for that aspect alone, like this movie kept me really engaged and I really wish more people saw it. So I think it's coming to HBO Max like soon, if not already there but yeah definitely check this one out if you can my first impressions i remember i, I did just rewatch it right now but i remember mm-hmm. when i watched it it was very like with d- have you seen the trailer yeah so it's like the there's they don't use like the full screen like it's very like dramatic yes yes i and remember is that how the movie is like where it's just like no and then like nah. lights off no and it's then not like, like that show, at all. and then uh, yeah uh, no yeah well i think that was a big try to part of trying to pull people in because like the way this was marketed was kind of like 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 a me too movie set in whatever like the 16th century or even no before that but like so because that's a big part i mean it's about like a rape allegation in this uh 
basically in this kingdom and yeah. it's like and it's a based in based on a true story so like it's it's crazy to think about like how far back these issues go but i mean at the same time they're basically just marketing it as like the story no one wants to tell and it's <laughs> like okay chill which i know that's how trailers are but right it it's, is it's mm-hmm. all I, I and it all comes down to the first impression and like yeah. so like i remember the trailer didn't impress me really okay. when i saw it yeah but I was like Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Ridley Scott, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, who I like. I was just like, I'm seeing it for them alone. Yeah. And it ended up really surprising me, and I really like this movie. Yeah. Is it dark and snowy the whole movie, too? Because I think the whole trailer is dark and snowy. A majority of the movie is pretty dark and snowy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely snowy towards the end. It's. I remember it's very muddy. I remember that. There's muddy. a lot of mud. Okay. <laughs> sure, mm-hmm. sure. Absolutely. All right. Um, my number eight is uh, The Power of the Dog, which is a movie yes. on Netflix. One of the few movies on my list that I didn't see in theaters initially. Really? Mm-hmm. One of, I think, it? I watched it on Netflix, actually. Oh. So this is So this is a very slow burn movie where, where it's like right around two hours long and not a lot happens okay. until like the last... 30-ish minutes, give or take. And so I watched this on New Year's Eve at, like, I watched it at, like, 4 p.m., and so I finished it around 6. And it was just, like, such, like, a, like, this movie really gets under your skin in in a really unique way that I think not a lot of movies are able to. It's very slow, methodical, and it's really metaphorical. So there's, like, so much to think about when it ended. Okay. And... So it's just such a weird way to kick off my New Year's Eve. It's like everybody else is like all happy and excited. Like Michigan's about to play Georgia. I'm just like really just deep in thought about this <laughs> Benedict Cumber- Cumberbatch Western movie. But um, yeah, I, I know it, you've seen the trailer for this, but like my biggest piece of advice for this movie is just like to go in knowing as little as possible. And I don't think the trailer gives that much away if I remember correctly. But yeah, um, this is another... Um, interesting movie that I think it it deals with perspective really well. It doesn't do the same thing as Last Duel where it tells the same story over and over. But this movie, I think it does an excellent job. And Jane Campion, who wrote and directed it, she does a really great job of um, basically balancing her characters because like they're basically all in the same situation. And she does a really, really great job of showing you why this character feels the way they do, they do and why they don't like her. And why she feels the way she does, but she doesn't like him. Uh-huh. And why she feels protective of this guy. And so I thought that she really understands how to write her characters really, really well. And I thought um, Benedict Cumberbatch, who's basically the antagonist of this movie, was excellent. And I think uh, he deserves some recognition for his work in this movie. And when people say Benedict Cumberbatch, I wish they thought of him more for his performances in movies like this and Imitation Game instead of Doctor Strange. But yeah, uh, my first watch, uh, definitely not what I, like you just said, would not mm-hmm. expect Benedict Cumberbatch to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, other than it being like a Western movie, yeah, I don't, it wasn't, didn't really like yeah. blow me away either. Yeah, I know. There's a couple movies actually on this list that are like that. Yeah. yeah, and I think, well, that's the thing where I was like talking about like going in knowing as little as possible because I think for a lot of um Movie watchers that are just like want to put something on to be entertained, mm-hmm. like this is not this your is movie. not it. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the first hour of this, unless you're really interested in cinema and the performances, and it, like Jane Campion is a filmmaker, and like it's it's hard to get through. But I went through it knowing like my respect for all the people involved, and just knowing that 
the tension she was setting up was going to lead to an ultimate payoff that was going to be really satisfying. I think regardless of how it ended, or I shouldn't say regardless, how it, regardless of which direction she was going to take it, I think there's a lot of interesting aspects that she could have gone with it. Yeah. And, uh, and like, another good thing that I guess could help me sell this movie to people listening that maybe have not even heard of this and don't want to watch a slow burn western is that, like, there's a twist. I personally saw it coming. Okay. Not trying to flex, and I'm not trying to say that I watch movies trying to guess what's coming. So I saw it coming, and I was like, damn, I really hope this isn't, like, the ending. Because, like, she's dropping a lot of hints, and I really think this is what's going to happen. And so there is a twist, but it comes halfway through. Oh. So, like, when the twist comes, it, like, makes you do a complete 180 as the viewer of, like, how you're watching the movie. Because it really puts a lot of things into perspective and... I think really makes that last hour and especially that last 20, 30 minutes really, really impactful. So I, that's one thing I really actually would appreciate because I hate, we talked about it like Mm -hmm. twists at the end Mm -hmm. and then it's like, Oh, the movie's over. Yeah. So you just Mm -hmm. spent two hours creating this false sense and then there's a twist and then you get like five seconds of wow. Yeah, exactly. There's this book I read that uh, talks about like, well, most movies are three act structure. It, this book I read talked about writing a movie as a five-act structure, and they talk a lot about what's called the midpoint, mm-hmm. which they're like the climax of your movie should come at the middle, mm-hmm. and which is like an interesting way to look at things. That's that's what the book was saying. Yeah. And so it's basically saying that everything in that first, if you have a two-hour movie, everything in that first hour is building up to what happens at that 60-minute mark. Yeah. And what happens from 60 minutes to 120 minutes is like the effect. It's like your whole movie is just cause and effect. And, and effect, it's, yeah. yeah. And so I think this movie... Um, is I like basically that. uses that structure really well. Yeah. And I think like including that twist right at the hour mark, it like it it changes a lot. And whether you see it coming or not, I don't think it changes how enjoyable that last hour is. Because right. yeah, it just really affects the relationships between these characters. And I think it was a really, really smart way to do it. But yeah. Okay. That was uh, the power of the dog at number eight. Um number seven, my only documentary on the list. The only other movie on my list that I didn't see in theaters is called A Man Named Scott. And this is the uh, documentary on Amazon Prime about Kid Cudi. Now, I understand that I probably have a bit more of a personal connection to this than a majority of people would because I'm such a fan of Kid Cudi. Mm-hmm. But I thought this movie did an excellent job at, first of all, establishing tone because the whole movie, uh, the movie is basically about Kid Cudi's journey to fame. Um, from about from the early 2000s up until about now. And if you don't know anything about him, he's had some he, he has a very emotional life. Like mm-hmm. he's had some some wild stuff happen to him and he uh I think he really understands himself very well. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting to watch that happen. He's very prominent in the documentary. And so it was really int- it was really effective for me to watch that unfold. And I think uh that the the documentary does a great job of uh showing not telling, showing why Kid Cudi is such an influential artist. I think a big part portion of it is what is the way he portrays himself. Okay. And I think a lot of uh, artists today, musicians, especially rappers, it's really just, uh, it's all about the cockiness. It's all about like, yeah, I'm good and I know I'm good. Yeah. And that's not just rappers, that's anybody, that's athletes. That's, yeah. you know, it's even like journalists. It's pretty much anybody, anybody yeah. at like the top of their field. That's that's and that's like how it is today. Yeah. It's like I'm you're not as good as me. And that's that. Whereas Kid Cudi I think has a humbleness to him that not a lot of artists have. And I really, 
respected and it really makes him a lot more watchable. But at mm-hmm. the same time, he knows how good he is and the effect he has on people. But the way he speaks in this documentary about himself and about the people he's encountered, I think it's really powerful and just shows why he's so likable. And it was just, it was just really refreshing to watch that. Mm-hmm. And I understand that um, in documentaries, truth is something that uh, can become a bit foggy. And I understand that Kid Cudi is portrayed on screen in this movie how he wants to be portrayed. Right. Like the Kid Cudi we're seeing in this interview is the Kid Cudi that Kid Cudi wants to show the people. Sure. He wants people to think I am this way all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's so there's a bit of a interesting thought there, but you see these other people speak about him too. And they and they're saying how modest he is. They're like he's like he's a literal genius. And he's so incredibly passionate about his art that he's a true inspiration and there's no other way to put it. And these like, these are people there's a point in the movie where like Kid Cudi, because Shia LaBeouf is also somebody that, that's interviewed in it. And Kid Cudi just like asks the documentary crew like, hey, how'd your interview go with Shia? So it's like he yeah. he willingly like didn't know how the interviews were going with other people. And so I think that part of it is really cool that like you get to see his humbleness, but then you get to see these other people back him up like, you yeah. know, he is this good. And so, and as somebody who feels strongly about how talented Kid Cudi is and like, what he means to me personally, what his music means to me. I think it was just a really effective watch for me. And uh, yeah, it's another movie I wish got a little more attention. So it was on Prime. It is on Prime. Uh-huh. I was going to say, I uh, I actually had no idea about this. Yeah, I know. Not a lot of people knew. Yeah. Um, and I am not that huge of a Kid Cudi mm-hmm. fan. I would like to watch it. It looks mm-hmm. it looks very well done. But I like. it looked like there was a lot of um, concert like on stage parts of it which yeah, i think i'm are, really glad you brought that up yeah i think that's going to be really really cool to it watch. is cool when it's in it but i was worried that it was just going to become a kid cutty concert movie uh, yeah but but it wasn't no i think the way they they integrate the concert scenes are really great because when the concert seats come they feel so earned okay because you get this backstory of like leading up to this performance, leading up to writing this song, what this song meant to him and like what it means to like his listeners. And uh, I think the way music was integrated in general was really smart. They weren't just like playing his hits to play his hits. I think each, each, as each song was introduced, there was almost like a story behind each Uh one. And I think that was really cool. But yeah, a man named Scott, check it out. I would like to check that one out. Yeah. All right. Number six. You have two left. I think that I, was not impressed with just a heads I'm, up. I'm guessing this was one of them. Was it Spencer? Yes, it was uh-huh. the movie about <laughs> Princess Diana. Yes, yeah. I this movie's become pretty polarizing as of late. When it was debuted at, um, I forget which festival it was, but when it was debuted at festivals, people were like, Oh, Spencer's amazing, it's awesome. And I, it's, as we get closer to award season, I've just been seeing people more and more people like turn on this movie and be like, Okay, it's not that good. Whereas I've only seen it the one time, but I was, I was really affected by this movie. I think it actually blends genres really well. Well, first of all, it's it's like that character study that I mentioned, like like the card counter, like your uncut gems, where it's it's one person and it's their life and you're with them. Right. And then well, it's a character study, right? Mm-hmm. So I love those, first of all. Okay. But this one within that realm, I think, really blends genre, re- or drama really well. I think at times it's like a thriller because Princess Diana in this movie is portrayed as an extremely anxious person. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you get to see her anxiety up close and personal, and that makes for a very tense and uneasy viewing experience. And I think it's actually funny at moments, and I think that it can be romantic at moments, not in, like, a 
sexual way, but like her, <laughs> her like relationships with like her family and like the people that mean a lot to her, I think are portrayed really well. And I just, I thought Kristen Stewart was fantastic in this movie. I know she's still in the conversation as one of the front runners to win best actress, but like I said, I feel like more people are starting to turn on this movie, but I think she deserves it. I thought she was excellent in this movie. And I just thought the way that her character was written was extremely well done. And um, I came into this movie not knowing anything about Princess Diana. Okay. Now. Um, I don't either. Yeah, either like either. I didn't know a lick. Yeah. I, the only thing I knew was that she died in a car accident in real life. Oh. Yeah, when I she was still pretty that. young. She was in her 30s. So I saw this movie with my mom because she has a lot of interest in Princess Diana and knew far more about her than I did going in. Right. And she was not a fan of this movie. She was like, I don't oh. like the way they portrayed her. That's not the way I remember her. Why did they make her do this and do this? And why did they make her seem like this kind of person? And I was like, so from that lens, it was really interesting to have a discussion with her about it because she was, like I said, not a fan. Yeah. Whereas from me coming in who didn't know anybody or didn't know about this person at all, basically this movie could have been 100% fiction and I wouldn't know. And apparently a lot of it is like, the truth is stretched. Okay. But like that doesn't bother me. I think part of it is because I um, didn't know much about it beforehand, but also because the storytelling in my opinion is really, really sharp. Like, okay. And that bothers some people. I think if like the, the truth is really stretched in movies, but like, I don't know a single person that has seen the social network and is like, yeah, I don't really like that movie. Everybody I know really likes that movie, but that movie really stretches the truth. But nobody cares because it's such a good movie. Yeah. And that's similar how I feel about this movie. Okay. Now, I can see maybe, like, there are sometimes the way they portray her is a little, I don't want to say offensive or demeaning, but, like, if I was one of her family members and that's not how she was in real life, I could be, I would maybe be a little bit like, why did you do that? But that's not me. <laughs> and yeah. I think in the context context of the movie and just how the movie is in general, I think it works really well. And I think this is also one of the best shot movies of the year. Shot completely on film, and it looks really, really good. Really? Uh-huh. There's a couple of my movies, a couple of my, my movies, a couple of movies as we get further down my list that are shot on film, and shooting on film is the way to go. Movies really? look so much better, yeah. Okay. There's a, there's a texture to it when you shoot on film. Yeah. There's the grain. It's not yeah. digital. It looks way better. But anyway, yeah, Spencer, I don't want to say underrated, because I don't think it's in that category yet, but... uh. I, I really, really enjoyed that movie. Okay. All right, we're in the top five. How yeah. Are we, how are we doing on time? We're at 40 minutes. I think if I had to guess, I think your next one is going to be the other one I didn't find. Um, The Green Knight? Yeah. Interesting. Okay, It yeah. was very dark and mm -hmm. kind of that same thing where it was like, I, I feel like the drama is being pushed on me yeah. through the trailer. Green Knight is one of three movies I saw this year where I sat through the entire credits. Really? Yeah. Not because I was reading them, but... Just thinking? Credits are important, though. Everybody who was yeah. involved in every movie, this movie in particular, deserves a ton of credit, but for the first, like, two minutes of the credits, I was just, like, alone with my thoughts, and then for the rest of the credits, I was, like, in a panic trying to write them all down in my phone so I didn't forget these thoughts I was having, but... A lot of A24 movies this year, by the way was a good amount. Yeah. It was a good year for just, independent movies. Yeah. And yeah. Anyway, like, just saying. Yeah. I, 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 I did no, notice no. that. I noticed A24 now always. Just yeah. exclusively from Ari Aster. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, Green Knight was it was great. It's extremely philosophical and thought provoking, like I said, through my experience with it. But um this it's an extremely ambitious fantasy movie. So okay. like you can tell it's about a knight's base it's a knight's quest for um the green knight. Like that's as simply as I could put it. And but it's extremely thought provoking each as his journey progresses, there's more and more questions brought into your mind as an audience member. And this movie really made me focus on how I watch movies. Okay. So like I try to go into a movie and just like, just like see what kind of effect it has on me right away. Right. And like this movie clearly had a profound emotional effect on me. Like I was thinking about a lot of aspects of the film and, uh, as it relates to death and like honor and, uh, reputation and all these things and uh basically I, it just reinforced that like i know how i watch movies now i watch them it's like it's almost like i watch them and then i work backwards so i watch a movie and i realize that this movie made me feel this way this way and this way and then i think to myself okay why, why did, did it and yeah. how so yeah. i was like was it the like was it the story was it the performances the characters was it the visual approach, you know, the cinematography, the sound, yeah. all this stuff? And then usually I come to find out a lot of the times when a movie has this profound effect on me, the answer to all those questions is usually yes. It's like every they check every box, like the technical category, the writing category. Yeah. When everything comes together like that, it usually has quite a profound emotional effect. And The Green Knight is, I think, is a five star movie. There's I when I watched it, I've thought about it a lot. I don't think there's anything I would change about that movie. Uh huh. But um. I just know, like, an ambitious fantasy epic isn't my usual go-to right? in terms of movie watching. But uh, I think it's a really, really excellent movie, and uh, I hope more people seek it out in the future. Hmm. Yeah. That, I think that was the last of them that I was like, yeah, I don't really know. Okay. That it looks. All right, so then the top four should be pretty fun. Yeah. All Which, right. by the way, I have been meaning to watch all four of these. Okay. And I just still have not. Like, one of them, I know for a fact, I've been meaning to watch the past three months. Okay. I'm, one, assuming, but I'm assuming that's number four, then, because the other or could be one, but number I think four. It, I think it's your one. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. good. I really want to see that one. I mean, number four, too. But. All right, yeah, my number four is Dune. Yeah. And I think is far and away the best blockbuster of the year. Really? Not even close. Yeah. This okay. movie is... I, I think it's outstanding. First of all, I uh, I'm a huge Denis Villeneuve fan, which is, like... Everybody is now. I yeah. think his filmography is extremely impressive. But um, what I love the most about Dune is, first of all, like everybody mentioned the the size and scope of the movie. Like, like I've said, this is a mo- I've said that there were some movies on my list that really need to be experienced in a theater, and I think this is one of them. One of, yeah, I saw it twice in theater theaters once in like in the Dolby Cinema, which is like similar to an IMAX experience. So that was ex- that was really cool, and. Uh, Everything in the movie is just huge, and you really feel the vastness of everything. But what really impressed me the most about this movie is how um, how still Denis Villeneuve is with the camera. When you have such a huge world and so much lore and mythology as you have with Dune, I think you could really easily go like the Transformers Michael Bay route where it's like, I want to show you everything as big as possible, as expensive as possible right yeah. now. Whereas Denis Villeneuve's is everything in this movie feels extremely tangible. I think his combination of digital 
and practical effects work really well together. And it felt like, it felt like, um, like, I don't know how to say it other. Uh, I shouldn't say, it. I, I think it felt like a more real version of star Wars in the sense really? that, okay. Well, it's, it just, like I said, it feels extremely real. And I feel like the, you get the, lost in the movie. You really do. And yeah. I feel like, um, there's so much to say for like the people behind the camera, like the set design and production design and like all the people that worked on the, this movie in post, there's so much like they deserve all the credit. I think this movie will sweep the technical categories at the Oscars and like, it shouldn't even be close. Cause like the, the look of this movie is yeah. unbelievable. I've never seen a movie that looks like this and I've never seen a movie that simultaneously looks like as big as this. And so I can't recommend this movie enough from a visual standpoint, but I also think the story is really strong. A lot of people complain that this movie is, because it is Dune Part 1. Right. Right. So uh, a lot of people complain. They're like, well, it's kind of an incomplete story. And it definitely leaves off with a cliffhanger. But I I think for me, I've really felt like there is a there is a complete story within this movie. I think this character okay. goes through a complete journey and change throughout this movie. And yes, there's some stuff to figure out in the second movie. But trying to cram it all into one movie would have been stupid, I think. Because the movie is already over two and a half hours long. But it's another one of those movies where I don't really feel the length. Right. And I've seen it twice in theaters, and it, it just really works for me. I think the performances and the cast especially are great. And this is the movie that has finally made me buy in on Timothy Chalamet. That guy is unbelievable. He is the future of movies, at least, like, big block. He's our next DiCaprio. Really? Like he's going to be in the conversation for the next 40 years. Wow. I, I genuinely believe that. And, oh. like, I'd seen him in other movies before this, and I was like, I like him. I've never seen Call Me By Your Name, to be fair. And I know a lot of people like him a lot in that, but I've seen him in Lady Bird. I saw him in Little Women. And I was like, yeah, I like him. Like, he's good. He's he's convincing. But, like, I've never seen him have, like, it. Like, when yeah. I see a Leo movie, most of them, I'm like, like he has it. Yeah. Like, I can't take my eyes off him. Like, Leo and Wolf, Leo and The Departed. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm just like, I can't take my eyes off of him. That was Timothy Chalamet and Dune for me. He completely... Like, he made me buy in as, like, this is our next big movie star. This is the guy. Because the movie is completely on his shoulders. Right. Like I said, there's a huge cast, a ton of characters, but the whole movie is completely centered around his his character. And so if he was bad, the movie would been would have been bad. Been bad. But he is outstanding in this movie. Um, I can tell you, it looks awesome from the trailer. Yeah. I, yeah, the trailer I, is I really do want to see it. It's one of my favorite trailers of the year. The first thing I thought was, is... is how does Zendaya in a movie like that? Like, how is her performance, or like, why did why did they choose her? Uh, a little bit of both, actually. I think she has a similar um, ability to be as prominent of a figure as Chalamet, with okay. her being in Spider Man and now in Dune. Um, but like, in, she's at the forefront. But I now I know what you mean. Like, yeah. how how is she in the movie? Yeah, because like, like in Spider Man, she seem like she's, she's, she's more like a teen who's just yeah. kind of like there. She's def she's far more reserved and uh, mature in this movie. I would okay. say for sure. Yeah. But I mean, like I said, there's a huge cast in this movie. She's not in it a whole lot. She's really, good. she's, she's good. in a lot on the trailer. I know. Well, yeah, that's how you sell a movie right well, there. That's true. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah. So. But she's she'll be in the next one a lot. But I the scenes that she is in, scenes that yeah she isn't in this movie are really effective. Okay. And I think she, I think she's a great performer, and I'm really excited to see where her career goes. And yeah, I think she's great. I think she's really solid in Spider Man too. I think she's a really good actress. So um, yeah, but 
my biggest takeaway is Timothy. Timothy is just such a beast. I cannot wait to really? see what that guy does in the future. Okay. And I cannot wait to see Dune Part 2. Yeah. There was it. such an excitement for me around Dune. I, these top four movies, like, I went, like, and put them each at, like, number one. I, I shuffled the order and just to, like, see what feels right. It sounds to me like what I thought your number one was going to be is not your number one anymore. But we'll get to that. Right, anyway. yeah. You're right. I, really? I, I we're, we're speaking we're with our eyes right now, but <laughs> I, yes, you're right. It's not. Wow. But, all right, let's get to my number three. My number three, this year's Uncut Gems, it's Red Rocket. This Dude. year's Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems wasn't one of 2019? It was number one, but I think this movie's incredibly similar to Uncut Gems. Okay. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, Sean Baker's Red Rocket starring Simon Rex, who, I need, even though I was just giving a ton of praise to Timothy Chalamet, which rightfully so, but my favorite performance of the year, hands down, is Simon Rex in Red Rocket. Okay. He is, like, what Adam Sandler is in Uncut Gems, he is to Red Rocket. He's the engine that makes this movie go. It is completely reliant on his charisma, his charm, and his energy. And he like he brings it for two hours. He is he is so energetic and so electric you can't take your eyes off him. Like he and like from the only other things I've seen him in are um the scary movies. And then back when I was like just being born, he was on like MTV and stuff and yeah. he had like a short lived rap career. So like this guy hasn't been in anything in a while and he was so unbelievably good. But um yes, this movie. Do you know what it's about? You, I mean, yeah. The, so, the trailer, so he's so like, from what I've gathered, mm-hmm. he's an ex-adult. Film. Yeah, he's a porn star. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's just like the 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 thing that I stuck out the most was him and his girl, and yeah. now he's got this new girl. Yeah, that's big. Definitely a big part of the movie. Yeah, and uh, I couldn't tell. Is it a comedy? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely a. Maybe not a maybe not a comedy, a but but funny. Mm-hmm, yeah, okay. so it's, it's definitely a, it's a funny drama, right? Yeah, so I think there's definitely well, there's clear like thematic implications and a clear intent with these themes and how the story is um, structured. So it's like and, don't look up. Not as intentional, no. Like I think this movie is far more personal. Oh, okay. I think I there's, no, there's I don't think there's as many big societal implications. I think right. there there, but there is in this not, movie. It's not made yeah. for the comedy. Right. Okay. I would I, I say gotcha. so, but it is extremely funny. Okay. I would say. Um but yeah, so basically I think like the best way to sum this movie up, I think it this like was the log line for it was in, when it was originally put on IMDb, but it was like an ex porn star returns to his hometown in Texas, but nobody wants him back. <laughs> and like that's that's your movie that's like two hours like i think that is just like such a great <laughs> pitch to a movie <laughs> like an elevator like 10 seconds sell me on your movie go yeah and like and i think yeah there's there's a lot i could say about this movie but it's really one of those movies that's it's better talked about when you've seen it because um he has like i said that there's nobody that wants him back so he has a very particular relationship with all the people in his town that he encounters when he gets back and um, basically, I just think it's a really smart way to the themes in this movie. I think a big part of it is like our, our effect we have on other people, okay. the people around us. And first of all, I just think that's a genius idea to do for a movie about a porn star. It's <laughs> like how he affects the people around him and how he learns about that. Um, but yeah, so I just thought that was a really smart way to take the movie. And I think it makes it a lot deeper than it is on the surface. And Sean Baker, I think, just brings so much to this movie. This is another movie that was shot on film. So, and it looks uh, really good yeah. and it's in this really rural Texas industrial town called Texas city. 
So it looks really, really good. And Sean Baker has a tendency. I shouldn't even say a tendency. It's like almost a guarantee. All of his movies show this side of America that like nobody wants to look at. It's like a lot of people living in poverty. Like in this movie, the living conditions of the people there are not great. And um, his previous movie, The Florida Project, takes place in Orlando, just outside of Disney World, Disney World, yes, right? Not yes, Disneyland, yes. <laughs> Disney World, but in the in like a in a motel where like the people who live there, like aren't just staying to go to Disney World. This is where they live. Uh-huh. You know, they're living off food stamps. They're they're there's these are people in poverty. But he tells these stories through the lens of these people in these situations. So mm-hmm. it makes for a really engaging experience to see stuff you usually don't get to see on film. And if you usually do see like people living in these conditions in a movie, it's definitely not the focus. It's usually just in there for a scene or two. But so that's why I really love his filmography. And I really um, think he's a really exciting voice to watch for the next few decades to come. And I think it, it talks a lot. Like there's a lot of themes, I think society in society that you could bring into this movie just because of how these people live in the movie. And uh, yeah, there's a lot to unpack with that. But overall, Simon Rex is a big takeaway. This movie is completely on his shoulders, and he, like, knocks it out of the park. Like, I, I don't think he'll get a Best Actor nomination because I think the movie's too provocative and upsetting for Academy of Voters, but I he's he gives hands down the best performance of the year, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, I would highly recommend Red Rocket. Okay. All right, number two. You ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I went on Twitter, and I called this the best movie of the year. I think that this is the best movie of the year. I think it is the most polished movie of the year, similar to The Green Knight, where I wouldn't change anything about it. And I really connected with this movie on an emotional level. Um, Licorice Pizza is yeah. number two. Um, I think that this is the most personal and authentic movie on the list. I think that this movie really captures adolescent feelings and young adult feelings in such a realistic way that I that's why I connected to it so much. And so many people want to talk about the relationship at the center of the movie that's develops between a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old. And like the people that just want to focus on that, I think are I think I think those are the type of people I'd try to encourage them to look at it a little deeper. Okay. Because I think this is a movie that is 100%. It's hard to put it into words, but I say it's one of those movies you can't understand it. You just got to feel it. It's like you either get it or you don't. Yeah. And I think that this movie works incredibly well. I think um, I just I want to hear what your first impression was. Uh, my mm-hmm. first impression is that the whole movie is based on this relationship. Like you mm-hmm. just said not to. Um, no, it is. The whole movie yeah. is based. But like. But you got to look past it. Not Yeah. And it's yeah. just like I've seen just because like. I read a lot on Letterboxd and Twitter about movies and it's so many people are like. Are we just going to ignore that this is about a 25 year old and a 15 year old? And I'm like. First of all, like they're not fucking in the movie. Like they're not yeah. having sex. Right. And like, and I think here's, I was talking to one of my buddies that just saw this movie about it. And I think with the whole idea of a 15 year old kid going after a 25 year old girl, that is a, an idea clearly marketed for men. Now, because if you're telling me, if you were 15 years old with all your friends and you had the chance to have a 25 year old girlfriend, you wouldn't be bragging about bragging about that to all your friends. Right. Like that's like a 15 year old kid's dream. 
Like, let's be real. That's how it is. That's how boys think. Right. But so like, that's how the movie is like, that's how people see it on the surface. But when you look beneath the surface, the movie is really about this 25 year old girl. I think. Okay. Her name is uh, Alana in the movie and in real life, Alana Heim, who plays her. She's outstanding. She should win, should be in talks for best actress right up there with Kristen Stewart. She's really, really insanely good. And this is her first, first like movie ever. Yeah. Which is mind boggling. Cause she's so good. But I think that's just a testament to Paul Thomas Anderson, who I think is one of our best like living filmmakers. And, um, but the movie is so much more about her finding herself than it is about her, like whether or not she's going to fall in love with this 15 year old boy or not. Right. She like the movie perfectly captures what it's like to be 15 and what it's like to be 25. Cause like, as I get closer to 25 than I do to 15, I realize how much, how many big life decisions I need to make within the next few years about like my career, you know, like financial decisions yeah. and just like finding who I want to be in this world outside of the school that I go to right now. So like you see her have these struggles and you see her grow and you see like how much she learns through this 15 year old kid. Whereas his, he's a great character too. And Cooper Hoffman is unbelievably good in this movie too, but he is really focused on, first of all, he wants to make money. So he's always hustling. He's like doing jobs or like basically making jobs to like find ways to make money. Okay. But he's at the same time, he's got this like young, immature attitude where it's like he just wants to have fun with his friends, but also at the same time, he has this insane level of confidence that keeps drawing this 25-year-old Alana back to him. And so it's really cool to watch these characters learn from each other, and it makes their relationship so much fun to watch. But I think at the end of the day, the movie is more about Alana than it is about the 15-year-old boy. Okay. And I think that is really powerful, and I think it works really, really well. And I think people, if they could just think about this movie on a more critical level, I think they would appreciate it more. But this movie is getting a ton of praise. And this is another one of those movies where when I watched it, I was like, it just had an effect on me. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm just, I'm this movie. It has me. It's like, it swept me off my feet. Like it's, it's controlling me for the next two hours. And then, and it was another one of those movies where I had to go look back and think, why did I feel this way? Why is this having such an emotional effect on me? Why was I tearing up, almost crying at this movie? And like that, I think those are big reasons why. There's two things I want to say after watching the trailer. First mm-hmm. of all, I don't understand why in the world this movie is named Licorice Pizza. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you can eventually figure it out after watching the movie. Maybe. Well, yeah, there's a... So the movie takes place in the 1970s San Fernando Valley, or San Fernando... I don't remember how to say it, in California. but um, San Fernando San Valley. Fernando That's Valley. Right on the other is. side of Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And... um. That's where there We was, Are Your Friends takes place, just saying. Okay, for sure, for <laughs> sure, for sure. So that's where I believe Paul Thomas Anderson grew up. I could be wrong, but okay. I'm pretty sure. And I know that there's an old record store in that area called Licorice Pizza. And oh. an old slang term for records is Licorice Pizza. It's just a black circle. Oh. And like, okay, yeah. And so I like, like, I think it's that, but then like, I was also talking to one of my friends who was, uh, who didn't know that going in. And had come up with some like metaphorical reason for why it's called licorice pizza. Really? Uh-huh. And uh it's like it's cool to look at it through that lens too. But uh see the first time I saw it, it would have been one of the trailers when I watched No Way Home. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, oh, this movie looks good. And then I saw licorice pizza and I was like, okay, that just kind of took a weird turn. And mm-hmm. when I first saw it, my first impression, because I've seen the trailer actually a couple times mm-hmm. now, 
it was like, eh, it kind of seems really weird. Yeah. And then I heard good things about it. I was like, all right. I'll, uh-huh. And then I am, I do want to watch. But one thing I want to say, which might be really mean of me to say about these people. Okay. But I feel like a lot of these movies spend a lot of efforts making their characters unbelievable, unrealistically beautiful. Okay. Which I didn't think they did in this movie. I'm so glad you brought that up. Really? Yeah. Okay, because I think that makes it that much more realistic. Yes. Yeah. 100% couldn't agree more. And is it mean to say that? No, no. <laughs> I No, that's, I think it's 100% intentional. Like, these characters don't have perfect bodies. They have yeah. crooked teeth. Like, they have acne. Yeah. Like, they are real people at that age. And that's definitely something that is 100% supposed to be noticed and is definitely intentional. Like, yeah. These, this isn't, like, as much as I love Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya, they're very good-looking people. Yeah. Like, and it's like, they, a part, big part of the reason why they sell so many tickets is because, like, this girl or this guy wants to go look at that person for two hours because they're that good-looking. Yeah. Whereas this movie, it's like, yeah, that's like 0.01% of the population that's that good-looking. Right. Um. So I, th- I love that it's... I mean, I don't want to be rude and call them unattractive, but they're, they 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 look like they look like I do. They look like people that I see every day. <laughs> like they aren't perfect looking, and I, yeah. I agree. I think that's a huge part of the movie. Yeah, and I'm really glad that it is like that. Um, Bradley Cooper. Yes. Yeah. Is he is he a big part of the movie? I wouldn't say he's a big part of it. No, no. but I will say the portion of the movie that he is in, he is unbelievably awesome. Really. Okay. He steals the movie. Really? Yeah. He oh, is, you're making, he is see, great. You're making me feel bad for not watching all of these movies. It's okay. <laughs> I think I think now you just have more motivation to watch them. Right? I do. Well, I'm like, I know with your number one, like it's hard to watch it. Yeah. I, <laughs> it comes out on Blu-ray later this month, which oh, I yes. know nobody cares about physical media, but I'm going to buy it. I, I know that. I'm going to watch it. But, but anyway. Yeah. Bradley Cooper. Pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Bradley Cooper in that movie. Definitely. Definitely, okay. I, he's worth the pr- the ticket price alone. If you don't care about what's going on in between a fifteen and twenty five year old, see for Bradley Cooper. All right, number one. Yes. Can, you, what, what's up? <laughs> you say the name. I'll give you my okay, first impression. I heard so somebody that I listened to talk about movies pronounced it Titan. Really? Uh huh. Okay. But so you, I'm just gonna roll with that for now. Okay, but we we Titan. That works is, too. Is what it's I thought. spelled T I T A N E. So, and it's a French word for titanium. So I'm fine with whatever pronunciation we want to roll with. But yes, that's my number one movie of the year. And it is the only movie on my list right now that I didn't take any notes with because I really wanted to hear your first impression before. On the trailer. Yes. What a fucking whack (laughs) trailer. That's all I have to say. But okay. The trailer. And so this is one of the trailers that I vividly remember because one, I knew I wanted to see it because it's the same filmmaker as Raw. Yes. And then I remember when I saw the card counter in theaters, I saw this trailer for the first time. And I, right away, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, whoa. <laughs> that is yeah. so much, like, imagery just all and, at once. And there's not a single word said in the trailer. Mm, I know, right? Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's like, it's literally one of those things where it's like, that's so weird, yet I'm so interested. I know. And it's not like in your face, like what is going on. I know. It's very, it's it's your less is more. Dude, it so is. My plan was to go into this movie without seeing the trailer, but I saw it not, I mean, against my plan when I saw the card counter. And I just like, <laughs> I was like floored 
by this trailer. Like, dude, it is so intense. Like yeah. you said, not a lick of the trailer makes sense because there's no context. Yeah. It is a bunch of images, and then, like you said, no words, and it's just music, and then it's just like Titan, like cut to black. Like Titan. Sure. <laughs> but you're just like, whoa, what? Yeah. And my biggest thing when I first saw the trailer was I was just thinking to myself, how are all of these images going to connect yeah. into one story? Because it seems so exotic and so all over the place that it doesn't look like it's going to make any sense at all. Is that how you felt watching it? I Well, okay, yes. Yeah. So that being said, I heard your thoughts or some of your thoughts on how much you liked it before mm-hmm. I saw the trailer. Okay. So I was definitely kind of looking at more like... I know it's hard to like figure out a composition from just a trailer, but just less is more not right. in your face. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it still was very weird and very like. And you have and you have seen Raw, Julia Carno's yeah. other, which feature. wasn't my, wasn't my favorite, but mm-hmm. mechanically wise, if I could say that, the cinematography and like technically, yeah, technically, yeah, mm-hmm. I thought it was very good. Mm-hmm. Just the story itself was not yeah. for me, but I thought it was a good movie. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think. Because I agree that technically Raw is really, really strong. I think this is a step up. I think. Okay. Um, so there's something in film called mise-en-scene. Have you ever heard of that? No. It's basically just like, it's basically just like what, what we as the viewer see. So it's kind of like cinematography, production design, set design, where the actors are positioned all put together. So it's like what you see and how it's framed. Okay. The, the mise-en-scene of this movie is ridiculous it is so energetic and so wholly unique to julia DeCarno's vision that like i could not take my eyes off of it simply because i was like i've never seen another filmmaker who works like this and the images as striking as they are in the trailer that's how it is in the movie but it's every single image because like yeah you just watch that for two minutes now go watch it for a hundred minutes yeah so first of all, it just like completely overwhelms you in that sense. It is visually overwhelming, and I mean that as the biggest compliment possible. Like it got so much, un- it got so far under my skin, just from a visual standpoint. It like the images of this movie stuck in my head, are burned in my head for the rest of my life. I I cannot remember a movie that I've seen that has had that much of an effect on me just from a visual standpoint. But then the story is so incredibly exotic, and layered, and just com- wholly unpredictable. Like when this movie was released, I think I saw it in September, or October, but um, it won the Palm Door, Palm Door, I think that's how you pronounce it, at the Cannes Film Festival, which is like a really prominent film festival, and that's like winning Best Picture at the Oscars, but for that festival. Okay. And so basically, then a, a large discourse started about this movie. A lot of people started talking about it, and like I forget what publication made this like their headline for it. They, but they called it um, the most fucked up, wholesome movie ever made. And like, <laughs> so like you see that and you're like, what does that even mean? Like, how is something fucked up and wholesome at the same time? Yeah. And like, I think I, I agree with that statement. I mean, it's like when I, the movie had a severe emotional effect on me and like a, with, with the relationships between his characters, but it is extremely fucked up and hard to watch. Like, this is the most like, Rarely, like, you know, I like movies that are darker and that get under my skin. And, like, I like, like, Ari Aster, for example. Like, I like movies like that. Yeah. Like, this is the first time I remember watching a movie and 
I don't know how long we're like, I was almost looking away. Like it's really? that like, I don't even like the adjectives, like it's gruesome. It's upsetting. It's just like completely visceral. Like what she does with effects in this movie is unbelievable, but it's, it's just something that has to be seen to believe like seen for you to believe it. And like, that's some a compliment I haven't been able to give a movie in a long time. And I am still the only person I know outside of a few of my professors. So the only person I know my age on a personal level that has seen this movie mm. and every single person, first of all, I say, have you seen Titan or Titan? Like, cause I still don't know how to pronounce it properly. Every single person that I know is like, what is that? Yeah. And so like, well, when you describe it as, a lot of people that, like, I read on Twitter and Letterboxd are just like, like, uh, okay, so, you know, do you remember the movie 127 Hours with Jason, or with James with Franco? James Franco, where, yeah. Where, yeah, so, like, yeah, you were just about to say it. The movie where he gets his arm gets caught his between arm the rock. Out. Yeah. Yeah, and he cuts his arm off, so yeah. it's like, oh, it's the movie where he gets his arm stuck between the rock and he's cut it off. Yeah. Like, that's your pitch for the movie? Yeah. Like, <laughs> the pitch for this movie is like, oh, it's the movie where the girl fucks a car. Yeah. Oh. Now, would you have gotten that based no. on the trailer? No. Exactly. No. And when I watched it, like, and like I, I just love that that's how it's kind of being discussed now because I've tried to describe this to, like, friends, family, relatives, like, like why you should take the time to watch this movie, but then, like, also having to be like, and she also fucks a car. And you're like, what? <laughs> I... But like, and then at the same time, it's incredibly emotional, uh, emotionally effective. The relationship at the core of this movie is like between her and the car. No, between <laughs> her and another human being is. Is it I that? Think, is it that guy? Yeah, who's all over the trailer. Uh, yeah, I think it's so incredibly strong and so in emotionally resonant. And by the time this movie ended, I first of all like it, it's one of the other movies that I sat through all the credits for. Okay, just because like I was sitting there with my thoughts, and this has never happened to me in, in my whole life. I have I have cried in movies. Okay. I've cried in many movies. Okay. I did not cry in this movie. I cried driving home from the movie. Really? Yeah. Which like people probably listening and people that I've told that to are like, What? I think that's I think that's Dude, definitely something. First of all, I've said it before, I think the best movies are the ones that A make you forget you're watching a movie. Yeah. Which this movie did. And the movies that make you reevaluate your own life. And or just movie, the ones you think about. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. like, yeah. And then the other one was like the ones that you, you can't stop thinking about. Right. So those, this movie hundred percent checks all three boxes. Okay. But I just remember driving home from this, cause it was a 30 minute drive from the theater back to my apartment. Cause I had to go to a theater that was further away to see it. First of all, I <laughs> I got in the car and turned on the music from this movie because the music, the needle drops in this movie are incredible. Okay. Like some of the best I've ever seen or heard, I should say. But I turned the music on and it just got me thinking about the movie and I could not believe that I cried thinking about a movie. I've literally never done that. And like, that's just a testament to this movie. I think it's so incredibly effective and it is so hard to unpack. This movie is so dense and I think it's like there's a lot of people that really don't like this movie. Like like I said, the only other people I know are my professors that have seen it. And I talked to one of my professors about it, and he was telling me why it didn't really work for him. And he was saying one of the things is like I, he said he felt like he couldn't decide what the movie wanted to be. And um, 
I didn't, I personally didn't feel that way. I feel like Julia DeCarno has a really clear vision of what she wants to do and the story she wants to tell. But like it's, it turns a lot of people away, not only for what it is visually, because like some people just simply won't be able to stomach this movie. Like when I say it's gross, it's gross. Like it's downright upsetting. Great. Uh huh. Yeah. So <laughs> you make me right not want to watch it now. Yeah, but you're a medical guy, so that's true. You, you can handle it. I handled raw. Hey, you did. If you can <laughs> handle raw, you can handle this. But um, but then yeah, and then it's also like, from a storytelling standpoint and from a thematic standpoint, it's very full. Like it, it, it there's a lot of ideas in there. So it's one of those things. It's like kind of uh, in a licorice pizza type where it's like you're either on board with it or you're not. And so I was just extremely on board with it. And it's a movie that like, I cannot wait to watch again. And I cannot wait to show it to as many people as possible. Now, I, I think some people, there are some people in my life that I bet if I showed this movie to them, like they would probably stop taking movie recommendations from me. <laughs> that's how like this movie, that's how far this movie could go either way. Yeah. But then like, there are other people that like say, like I could see a person that like, Maybe I don't know super well, but like knows I like movies. And if I recommended it to him, I could see them being like this movie, like had a really strong effect on me and I wanted to see more movies like this. And I just, I, I genuinely cannot express enough how I've never seen a movie like Titan. I, I want as many people as possible to see it because, and it's, it's, it's extremely important to me and that's all I have to say about it. Wow. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. So just to reiterate, I mm. thought Titan was going to be your two. Yeah. Well, that's like I said, four through one, I, I've shuffled them all around. Yeah. Titan was it was the only one that felt right at one. Okay. Are you going to put a tweet out that says you redact your statement about licorice pizza? No. <laughs> I, I, do think, I do think licorice pizza is more polished than Titan. Like I said, Titan is full. And, like, right. it is stuffed with ideas and themes and all these different things that Julia DeCarno wants to do. And I think that could be a fault to the movie. In a, like, it wasn't for me. But it could be. But I could see how I that see. really turns people away from it. Yeah. So, um, in that sense, I do think Licorice Pizza is more polished. Okay. And I think, I personally wouldn't change anything about Titan, but I, like, can see a lot of people being like, this, this, and this didn't even need to be in there. Yeah. But whereas Licorice Pizza, I think, is really, really strong. I don't want to say flawless, but really, really strong. But yeah, that's twenty twenty one. Okay, uh -huh. that yeah. that was layered. Yeah, layered. <laughs> I saw one out of sixteen Layers. of those. And don't look up. <laughs> what? It was don't look up. Yeah. All right. right. It was your five through one. Uh, five through yeah. Fifteen through eleven. I don't think I saw. Mitchell's vs. the Machines, Zola, nope. Matrix Resurrections, Nightmare, Nightmare Alley, and yeah. the Card Counter. Yep. Nope. So all right, well, you got your work cut out I got, for you. Hey, hey, but I tell you why I started watching some other good movies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you know what? A lot of these movies are available on streaming right now, so that's the good part about it. Yes, and uh, mm -hmm. I got another movie you brought me to watch too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, get you cultured a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. uh, yeah, hey, if you like Spider Man, that's okay. I don't. Yeah, I just maybe if you like it a lot for. Because there's so many characters that you have a nostalgic connection to that are in it, if that's the reason why you like it, maybe just if you ever rewatch it, maybe try to look at it through a different lens. Yeah. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. I just I get really fired up talking about that movie. And I, I yeah. I hate the whole like 
Martin Scorsese versus Walmart or versus Marvel discourse on like Twitter and stuff. But like, I, I think that Marvel movies really, I wish more people would think critically about them. I think they're going downhill. I, in terms of quality, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. But like Spider-Man No Way Home just made $250 million in three days. Yeah. Four days. But like, it's already in the top 10 for highest grossing movies of all time. Yeah. That's pretty insane, especially given COVID. Is Avatar still one? No, Endgame. Oh, it is Endgame. Okay, mm-hmm. I got you. That's right. That's right. I did know mm-hmm. that. I did yeah. know that. <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home just knocked out Incredibles 2 from the top 10. Really? Incredibles 2? Incredibles 2 was huge. I knew it was big. I didn't know it was that big. Mm-hmm. Huh. The more you know. The more you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, looking forward to another year of watching movies. What's your goal? 100 movies? I want to watch 100 new releases. So I want to watch 100 movies released in 2022, which is my, in 2019, I think I saw, it was like 72 2019 movies. And so this year in 2020, I was nowhere near that. And then this year, like I said, it was between 40 and 50. So I really want to challenge myself to get to 100. Wow. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Hey, mm-hmm. had a blast. Thanks, Thanks for having me here. Hey, thank you for joining me, Ted. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. All right. Thank you for listening and uh, tune in next time on the True Critic Podcast. <laughs>